Welcome to Irish Passport. Uh, let's do it. Welcome to the Irish Passport. I'm Tim McInerney. I'm Naomi O'Leary. We're friends. Okay, well to Naomi. Anwar Fad Tim. This is your passport to Irish culture, history and politics. Uh-huh. I'm recording. One, One two, two, three. three. Okay. Hello, listeners, and Nalik Hanaji of Galair, wherever you might be. Happy weird Christmas, everybody. Um, it's <laughs> certainly a strange one this year. Yeah, truer words never spoken, Naomi. Uh, last year, uh, at around this time, we were actually recording in Dublin Airport, if you remember that episode. And we were listening to the sounds of people coming back for their Christmas holidays. And this year, it couldn't be more different and in ways that we really couldn't have imagined back then. Absolutely. So there's all kinds of precautions and safety rules and stuff in place to cope with this pandemic that we're going through. And Mm. travel is, of course, discouraged uh, with various different testing and quarantine requirements all over Europe. So the sheer number of flights is really down and people are choosing to keep gathering small uh, until we're at the other side of this. Yeah, sure. So that makes for a lot of people in Ireland who are missing loved ones who are away. It also means that there are people all over the world who will be inventing new traditions and ways to make Christmas special wherever they happen to be this year, uh, instead of making the maybe habitual trip home. Exactly. And we are going to be hearing from some of them today. We'll also bring you some Christmas good news stories for the special time of year. And we're having something of a reunion here on the podcast with with Mm -hmm. guests who have joined us in recent years, gathering here with us again. And they've sent us a little message in a bottle to pass on to all of you listening wherever you are. Yeah, we've got a lovely lineup of some familiar voices, uh, including writer Sarah Maria Griffin, campaigner Emma D'Souza, author Caelan Hogan, professor and commentator Rona McRae, US Congressman Brendan Boyle, broadcaster Katrina Perry, Downing Street spokesperson turned SDLP MLA for South Belfast, Matthew O'Toole, commentator Sarah Creighton, and comedian Tara Flynn. And we'll also have some original music from the sketch comedian Michael Fry. Can't wait to hear from all of them. So get yourselves cosy, get perhaps a nice hot drink (laughs) of something nice, and settle in with us for this special Irish Passport Christmas reunion. We've occasionally talked on this podcast about some ancient traditions that still survive in modern celebrations in Ireland. But one thing I don't think we've mentioned is the ancient history of solstice celebration around this time of year. Most famously, of course, the one that takes place in the Newgrange Passage Tomb in the green fields of ancient Mead. Yeah, Naomi, I'm so glad that we're bringing this up because we have kind of peripherally touched on this loads of times over the years, uh, but we've never really gone into it. And it is something really special that happens at this time of year during the Christmas season in Ireland. Maybe I'll make it my New Year's resolution to to do some more in-depth research and devote a full episode to this uh, in the future because it really deserves it. Uh, the Neolithic Passage Tombs of Ireland are so cool. Uh, you may not know this, Naomi, but when I was about seven or eight, I became totally obsessed with Newgrange. And once we were visiting some family in Navin, and I forced my my parents to stop off at Newgrange on the way home. That is so on brand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, not exactly the coolest uh, seven or eight year old in town, <laughs> but it lived up a hundred percent to its reputation. It was so impressive, more impressive than I ever could have imagined. I'd love to go back now um, as an adult at some stage, uh, but seven year old me was just spell. So uh, you might be familiar with Newgrange already or perhaps have heard about it on our episode on the Celts from earlier this year. So we're Mm. talking about monuments that are ancient, ancient, ancient. The most famous ones are to be found on the particular bend of the River Boyne known as Brunabonia, which UNESCO has described as Europe's largest and most important concentration of prehistoric art. So some of the tombs discovered there, including Newgrange, are understood to date from about 3200 BC, uh, which makes them, by some estimates, about 500 years older, both than Stonehenge in England and the Pyramids of Giza. Yeah, and these things are just marvels of engineering. The remains of a whopping 90 prehistoric monuments are known to lie along that Boyne Valley. Uh, a lot of them are still waiting to be excavated, so we'll, we'll see what's in them eventually in the future, maybe. Um, so Newgrange is a passage tomb, and to describe what we mean by that, um, you could imagine a huge big circular earthen mound uh, built on top of a hill. 
It's about 80 meters in diameter, and it's supported all around by these massive curb stones that are covered in swirling, spiraling prehistoric art. Uh, at one end, there's an entrance into this long, dark passage, which ends up in three chambers, which were possibly used to hold the cremated remains of the dead. Um, and interestingly, a few years ago, I think, the unusually hot summer scorched the grass, and aerial photography was able to pick out even more monuments that nobody ever knew about that were hidden just underneath the surface. So... There's only so much that we can actually know about these structures. Um, a lot of it is just knowledge is put together by the evidence available and what's there is limited. But in the 1960s, a truly amazing archaeological discovery was made about Newgrange, uh, which is why it is the best known of all those Boyne Valley Pasha's tombs today. So here's what it is. There's basically a small opening above the entrance door to the tomb. And it was discovered that this opening lines up exactly with the rising sun on the 21st of December, which is the winter solstice that we're approaching at the moment. So keep in mind, remember, all these architectural precise liniments were created without the help of any metal tools, for example. The winter solstice, in case you're not familiar, is the shortest day of the year after which the days once again begin to become longer and brighter after the darkening of autumn and winter. Now, one pretty amazing fact is that this tomb is actually so old that the feckin' planet has actually moved, like, significantly since it was built. Um, so these days the light hits the entrance at approximately four minutes after sunrise on the 21st of December, but originally it would have been right on the spot. So this is an incredible engineering precision. Um, when it does hit that uh, small opening, it entirely illuminates the underground chamber with this golden light. And guys, I absolutely urge you, if you're near a, a phone or a computer, to look up a picture of that because it really is something else. It's really amazing to think about that light coming into that chamber and lighting up the inside of it like year in, year out since prehistoric times. It's it's mind-blowing to think about it, really. When we're talking about these ancient midwinter traditions, all these thousands of years, you know, while entire civilizations and religions were rising and falling, you know, while countless other ancient winter festivals were invented and adapted, and while basically Christmas, as we know it, was taking its familiar form over the centuries, that whole time, every year... The first light on the 21st of December uh, was aligning precisely with those dark chambers in the heart of Newgrange. So, you know, that gives you some perspective, I suppose. So why have we been talking about this? Why did we get Newgrange into our heads all of a sudden? Mm. Um, but basically, I've been thinking about the origins of the winter festivals and traditions that we have at this time of year and the idea of that winter solstice, the moment when the day is shortest, the darkest time of year before there is a renewal. And for a very, very long time, that moment has been thought of as a moment of rebirth. That's something that's common to the Christian tradition as well, with Jesus and everything, but also ancient Gaelic beliefs. Possibly it's, it extends right back to the societies that built that passage tomb. Some interpretations of that architecture are that that light that illuminates the chamber at that darkest day of the year, the shortest day of the year, it's the light coming to fertilize the earth once again. And then, you know, we'll have growth. Growth will return and there'll be spring and there'll be summer. I, I was thinking forward to that day, which is nearly upon us, of the winter solstice, after which, you know, the brighter days will come. And it just kind of fits with the moment that we're in. I feel like we're in this moment of transformation. We're at a turning point and this is the kind of the darkest moment after which things will start to turn around. Yeah, yeah, good point. I mean, like like we've said before, um, the Christmas season is not always a happy one any year, especially for people who've lost someone during the year who might be missing them. Um, but the whole tradition of midwinter is also about turning a new page, just like you say, Naomi. It's a bit of a trite metaphor, maybe, but, you know, after the darkest day, things can only get brighter. And I think that does have a real effect on how people approach their lives and the future at this time of year. Uh, this year couldn't really offer a better example. So while celebrations are going to be low-key and maybe even non-existent for loads of people, there is a sense of eagerness to put 2020 behind us and to move on to something new, something brighter. And amazingly, it does look like that might be in many ways possible. Yeah, I mean, I've been thinking about this in a very real way, looking forward to that moment of solstice on the days starting to get longer, because the very darkness and shortness of the days and the little amount of light that we have 
you know, it makes a huge difference to just my day-to-day life. And once they start to get longer and each day will have a little bit more light, um, it's just so positive. And you know that the spring is coming and the summer is coming and there'll be that freedom of being able to be outdoors and, you know, move easier and see everybody. And of course, it's totally tied up for me with the fact that, you know, the vaccinations are coming. So as we record, Uh the first vaccinations are starting to be rolled out, first of all, to people like doctors and nurses and those most at risk. And then as soon as those key people start to have immunity to the virus, the prospects at the end of the pandemic will improve. And, you know, each of those Mm. people is someone who can no longer transmit it to others. And that's why it feels like a turning point for me. Um, Now, a lot of people that I've been speaking to about this whole kind of vaccination thing or kind of hopeful about it and don't, don't want to put too much faith in it, you know, just in case something about it doesn't work out or something. Uh, but also saying, well, you know, they might want to wait until others have it first just to make sure it's absolutely safe. Well, like what I wanted to point out is that many, many people, tens of thousands of people have actually already had these vaccines because that's actually part mm. of the process, how they arrive as a thing. So there are actually, you know, tens of thousands of people who volunteered to try the vaccines for us, for all of us, to make sure, Mm. first of all, that they're safe and secondarily, that they work. And one of those people, Tim, happens to be our old friend, Karina Jakobowicz. Yes, of course. A huge bula to Karina, who is, like you say, an old and good friend of both of us. Uh, Karina and everyone else who volunteered for the vaccine trials are the absolute heroes of 2020 in my book. So we spoke to Karina to hear this backstory of what is it like being one of those people who volunteers to try out a vaccine, you know, for the good of all of us just to test whether they're safe and if they work and everything. Um, so I spoke to her over Zoom and caught up about why did she decide to get involved in the first place and what it was all like? Hi, Karina. Welcome on the podcast. Hello, Naomi. It's so lovely to speak with you today. So I just wanted to ask you, first of all, what was the vaccine program that you got involved with and how did you find out about it? So I was involved with the vaccine program that was rolled out by Imperial College and they were trialing a quite experimental version of the vaccine that involved something called an RNA vaccine, which had yet to be used on human beings, but had been used on animals. And I heard about it through some friends who also worked for Imperial. And around about the March period, when everyone was panicking, I got this email asking me if I would be interested. And so I signed up and then I forgot about it. And a few weeks later, I was contacted to say that they wanted me on the trial. Gosh, so what did it actually involve then? It involved a lot of waiting around. It's a bit like being an extra in a movie, I imagine. You, you you get called up and you think you're terribly special and then you spend hours waiting in queues and sitting in rooms, you know, waiting for your name to be called and filling out forms. But generally speaking, I went in, I had a full health check to make sure that I was good material, I guess. And they checked to see if I had antibodies and I didn't. And then I returned again to have another check. And after I think about three or four checks, I got the first injection. And of course, there's actually hundreds of different trials like this going on. We've all heard of the kind of the more famous vaccines because they happen to be the first ones to to get good results and even to start, you know, getting approval, some of them. Um, is this one of the ones that people will have heard of? It probably isn't, to be honest. It's a very small trial. It was being run alongside the Oxford trial. So I was going in and being tested alongside some people who were London-based and had volunteered for that. So it was quite interesting to realise how these individual trials were not so self-contained. They were actually being done in the same building to some degree. They We had scientists that were working on one and and also working on another. Some of our results, I imagine, were were useful in in other trials as well. So the Oxford trial is probably the one that most people would have heard of. And then the Imperial one in the UK is certainly the, the one that's right behind that. And so what happened then? Did you turn out to have antibodies after you got your two injections? Sort of. I had some. And I wasn't told at first how many I had or if I had any, because obviously they didn't want me just going around not wearing a mask or being reckless. Not that I would have done anyway, but I wasn't told until right until the end. And they said, you have some, but you don't have enough. And this made sense to me because I wasn't being tested in terms of the efficacy of the vaccine. I wasn't there to see if if it was effective. I was part of the very, very early stage of the trial, which was to basically see if this thing was safe to use on a human being. 
And because of that, they used a very, very tiny amount. So they were interested in part to see if I would produce antibodies, but they were more interested to see whether it would affect me negatively. And when it didn't, they realized that they could increase the dose. But I'm, I have, I've yet to have a higher dose of any kind. That's really fascinating. And that really tells us a lot about how the whole process works. So first of all, they kind of check the fundamental safety and then they yeah. see about eff- efficacy after that. Um, that's really illuminating. And it also underlines that, you know, there was a personal risk for you in, in doing this. And this was quite an altruistic act. What, what made you go into it? Why did you do it? I think it was being told that I couldn't do so many things, that I couldn't go outside, that I couldn't see people. And it was that feeling of helplessness. And here was an opportunity to actually do something, something very proactive. To be honest, I wasn't as scared of the vaccine as I was of coronavirus. I was more frightened getting the tube to the hospital than I was of what was going to happen to me at the hospital because I trusted that the, the situation was safe. I'd, I had done research into it. I'd talked to doctors, friends who agreed the research was good and that in principle it should be fine. That to me is so much safer and so much more reassuring than being attacked by a virus that people at the time hadn't a, a clue in terms of what it was going to do to people. So I actually felt like I was at, at less risk of of the vaccine you know going wrong than I was of coronavirus going wrong. Well thank you so much Karina for your bravery and for being part of this massive endeavour which I think must have involved very brave people and altruistic people all around the world being the guinea pigs to try and prove these things safe and effective and really turn around the course of the pandemic so thanks so much for that. Thank you and thank you for your good work. Wow, that's so amazing to hear that behind the scenes work of how these vaccinations are discovered and developed. Uh, it's something, you know, that is hidden most of the time. And like, it's, it's really interesting just to see the mechanics of this. Um, thanks so much, uh, Karina, for getting involved and for sharing your story with us. Last year, when we were making a Christmas episode, um, we were in very different circumstances, and <laughs> quite literally, because we were recording on the floor of Dublin Airport, and uh, we were there to speak to the families that were coming home. My son and our daughter have come home from Vancouver for Christmas, yeah. Together. And what does it mean to you to have them home for Christmas? Oh, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, absolutely brilliant, yeah. We wait for a year. It's only yeah. a year, but it's a long, long time. What are you waiting for? I'm waiting for my son and his wife and the baby. Where are they coming from? San Francisco. Yeah. All the way from San Francisco. And, uh, where are you from yourself? Uh, near Carrick and Shore, County Tip. So you'll be uh, all at home in Tipperary this Christmas? Yes, all, all the family will be home this Christmas, yeah, for a change. <laughs> and are they living over there full time? Oh, he's there, what, 12, 15 years? Yeah. Coming home for Christmas for a lot of the Irish diaspora around the world is a kind of annual ritual. And people come home en masse uh, over the Christmas holidays, and it's a kind of festival atmosphere. And for a country that's experienced, you know, centuries of mass uh, emigration, this mass homecoming is profoundly special, really, for everyone involved. And it's often the only time the families will get to reunite for years at a time. Of course, this year has changed so, so much for so many families. And it's had a massive impact on something else, which is the travel industry itself. Yeah, right. So just to compare these figures, um, this is really stark. Uh, according to the most recent passenger numbers we have for Dublin Airport, 91% fewer passengers uh, travelled through Dublin Airport in October 2020 compared to October 2019. 
Um, and there's just far, far fewer flights anyway. Um, many routes between Ireland and other European countries, for example, are just not running at all anymore. We got into a little bit about this profound effect on, you know, people like the diaspora and also people at home with family members living abroad. And, you know, how much of a profound shift this is to the way that people have been living. And I also spoke to someone who's also at the heart of that change, but from a different perspective. Uh, my cousin, Justin Perry, he's a pilot, an Aer Lingus pilot as it happens. And usually at this time of year, he'd be flying home passengers on Ireland's flagship carrier and wishing them a Merry Christmas over that pilot inc- intercom that you hear. But today, like many pilots, he's not flying at all. And we had a quite fascinating and surprisingly upbeat conversation about how his life has transformed. Hey, cousin, how's it going? Hey, cousin, very good. How are you? <laughs> all good, all good. So um, it's a different kind of Christmas this year for you because usually you are flying Aer Lingus and you're part of the movement to bring everyone home, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's usually one of the busiest times of the year. Right? So what's it like being in the cockpit and flying everyone home? Uh, I, I have to say, I, I actually really enjoy it. If, if, if I'm flying down to Spain or down to Italy, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do a quick Google of what happy Christmas is in Spanish. At least now we dad. But uh, yeah, I, I, I guess you, you just have a lot more people that are, you know, in good Christmas spirit, as opposed to like business travelers and, and, and holiday makers. You, you know, people are coming home for Christmas and we're going away for Christmas, depending on what, what, what they want. And like around the airport, like it's always nice around that time of the year, you know, um, there's carol singers and yeah, it's, it's, it's generally just, good going the, the general conversation with the crew is uh how, how's your work for christmas because obviously we work through the entire holidays like we, we get christmas day off and that's about it right because you got to get everyone home for that period yeah um, yeah there's that, probably that, sometimes a bit of disruption and stress as well i'd say oh absolutely like maybe it was about nine years ago at this stage it was a big snow around christmas and uh and, and that was carnage because at, at the time my brother was trying to get home from uh, from Valencia and like, so, so I, I, I was t- touching base with him as to when he'd try to get in and flights were being cancelled and all over Europe really you, you know or at least Ireland and the UK uh, everyone was running out of de-icing fluid and all this sort of stuff and so he was trying to get get on a plane and I was like that flight I know is not going to come back into Dublin because it hasn't left Dublin you know so it's just like just get on a flight to the UK and, and you can try to get get home that way but then another year, there was it was incredibly windy, you know, so huge disruption on Christmas Eve. So the stress is on then when you know people are trying to get home for Christmas, and they, like if if you don't manage to to get into Dublin, you end up diverting to Shannon, or they actually might not get home for Christmas, and their their plans will have to change pretty lively. Yeah. So obviously, this Christmas is like radically, radically different. Like, what what has happened to you as an Aer Lingus pilot? Obviously, the last year has been, been quite quite extreme. And usually, I'd be flying and coming up to this time of year would be flat out. But at the moment, I'm actually not even working as a pilot. So I've, I've taken a taken a year's special leave to work on another little company of mine. So I won't be flying anybody home for Christmas this year. Obviously, my Christmas is going to be very different because, as I said, I get Christmas Day off and then. Depending on how my weekend days uh, often fall, I might get a few other days, but I'm usually back in work on like Stevens's morning. But I'm going to have like 10 days off. So for me personally, it's sweet. <laughs> you know? like, I, I, I do know as well, like it was it last week, it was Thanksgiving in the States. And that was the busiest week for aviation since the beginning of the pandemic. And that was really because of all the people traveling home for Thanksgiving. And I know uh, Delta had to cancel a load of flights due to staff shortages and I know American Airlines had to pay people loads of overtime so that they didn't have to cancel flights so it, it, it's obviously yet to be seen but I do still think a lot of people are going to travel home for Christmas just because you know it's that time of the year especially at the moment people haven't seen their relatives in probably the best part of a year you know it may not have been since last Christmas so I, I, I can see quite a lot of people flying home still but probably not in the sa- in the same numbers but for me personally, my Christmas is going to be about 10 days long. <laughs> that's great. And also it's nice because it's your baby's first Christmas as well, Little Willow. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. I'm, I'm, I'm holding her at the moment as a dog too, actually. Not, not that she'll remember a thing of it being, she'll be a grand old, like four and a half months old. But uh, it's definitely still, still a bit of fun. We have a nice little Christmas dress for her and whatnot. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing the pictures on the family group chat and hopefully 
one day meeting her in person that would be nice yeah come next christmas hopefully we'll be we'll be back on track for uh Stephen's day and the grandparents um but it looks like it'll all start start getting cracking on so to sum up not only will justin have a proper christmas this year for the first time in a long time he's also bringing up his baby daughter with his uh, wife ruth in a way that normally wouldn't be possible And he's using this sudden halt to flying to do something really innovative and exciting with his startup. He's jumped on this potential for transformation by turning into a full-time entrepreneur. He's founded a startup called Frequency with two fellow grounded pilots that essentially introduces a modern communication system for pilots that saves airlines money and reduces delays. And amazingly, the three of them have managed to raise 278,000 euro in equity crowdfunding in just 30 days. I feel like his story really is kind of summed up by the very symbolic name that Justin and Ruth gave to their new baby and the newest member of my extended family, Willow Hope. Oh, wow. All right. Well, well done to all of them. And congratulations, Justin and Ruth, on the new addition to the family. So it's so hopeful to use this moment for renewal and for innovation. And personally, I mean, Justin says he's missing flying a lot, but my personal conviction is that he's definitely going to end up as some kind of multimillionaire and he won't (laughs) need to worry about having to get up at 4am to get to the airport because he's absolutely bound to have his own private plane. There are Irish people all over the world who are inventing their own traditions this year, often combining their traditional Irish Christmas with the traditions of their adopted country. Let's hear from some of those people now. We'll begin with Caroline, who hasn't been home to Ireland since January, like so many people, and Caroline will be spending this Christmas in Brussels. Shout out to the Brussels Irish, by the way. (laughs) Go team. I hear there's plans for Christmas cans in the park. (laughs) Oh God, right. Well, now for, for Caroline, you know, she's taken a, a very positive attitude to the whole situation. She's looking at the holiday season as an opportunity to just relax and make the most of the absence of fluster and flurry that, you know, often dominates this time of year. Let's take a listen. Hi Naomi, hi Tim. Well, it's going to be an odd Christmas indeed. My mum won't be able to join me in Brussels like she usually does. And I don't know if I'm going to be celebrating Polish Christmas like I usually do with my Polish and English friends on the 24th. I won't have my usual strays, which is usually single people or people left in Brussels or non-Christians and who I usually invite for dinner on the 25th. That won't be happening. I probably won't be having dinner with my Austrian and Irish friends on the 26th, um, like we usually do. So this Christmas, I will have just moved into my new apartment. Um, So on the 25th, I've got a full day planned. I'm going to treat myself and like have eggs benedict for breakfast with some champagne, go for a big walk, use the occasion and uh, dress up, (laughs) mark the occasion by myself, then get into my pyjamas and watch TV and chill out for the rest of the day, have a little bit more champagne if the want takes me. Um, I haven't been home to Ireland since January and I probably won't see my family and friends until maybe March next year. But I'm kind of okay with this, especially for Christmas. Um, like not everybody has a picture perfect Christmas. And honestly, I find the holiday one that's very overwhelming and very stressful. So I'm actually pretty okay with sitting this one out. So look, at it is going to be a different Christmas for everybody this year, no matter where we are. It's one day out of the year. Like as Seamus Heaney said, if we can winter this one out, we can summer anywhere. So all around the world, there are a lot of Irish people who are working abroad right now for all kinds of reasons and all kinds of jobs. And among them are members of the Irish army who are involved in peacekeeping missions around the world, as well as members of diplomatic missions, Irish diplomatic missions who can't travel home. One of these people is Kate Fearon, who works in the European Union monitoring mission in Georgia, which was set up to help keep a ceasefire that basically stopped the war between Russia and Georgia in 2008. So she sent us these words about her situation. 
If you have to be uh, away from home at Christmas, could do worse than be in Tbilisi. It's a wonderful city, full of history, full of vibrancy, full of life, full of color. And not so many tourists this year for obvious reasons. But we do have a small Irish community, around uh, 30 or so uh, expats, not just us in the mission, seconded by the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, but uh, others who are there on business, professions like teaching, etc. So um, it's a good place to be and I suspect will be a lot of WhatsApp activity with the other uh, members of the Irish community on that day. And I guess reflecting on the year that's been in it, um, obviously tough for a lot of people. One thing that's really uh, struck me is the degree of uh, resilience that we've had to demonstrate in our mission, um, the adaptability, the flexibility, but also the fact that we were able to do it. You know, you can reach down and you can really um, pull out the reserves. And also in our mission, we are 340 people, about 115 uh, national staff, Georgians, about 220 from all of the 27 EU member states. We have got through the year with good humour by being kind to ourselves and to others. We can now see uh, the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, we know it will be a little while before vaccines come our way, but we are prepared to dig deep and hold the be resilient uh, a little bit longer. And there's always next Christmas, to which we look forward already, God willing. Laurie, based in Wellington, New Zealand, is no stranger to spending Christmas abroad. This is actually her fourth year of spending the holidays in her newfound home, and she will be pairing her mum's stuffing recipe with her husband's family's Christmas Day curry, which is a oh thing my- in New Zealand, apparently. Oh my god, that sounds delicious. Hi, Naomi and Tim. My name is Laurie Winkless, and I'm based in Wellington in Aotearoa, New Zealand, but I'm from Dundalk originally. I moved to New Zealand at the end of 2016, so this will be my fourth Christmas here and also my fourth summer Christmas, which honestly is something that I'm not sure I'm ever going to get used to. Christmas is the big summer holiday in New Zealand. It's when people take their longest break from school and work. But that's not to say that the Northern Hemisphere version of Christmas is completely absent in New Zealand because it's not. People wear Christmas jumpers and Santa hats And if you go into the shops on decorations and cards, you'll see the same types of motifs like snowflakes and polar bears, even though it's often a time that people go to the beach. But I kind of love that combination. I do usually get a bit homesick at Christmas, if I'm honest. That's partly because my family back home lean very heavily into the Christmas spirit. You know, everyone decorates their homes beautifully and makes time to spend together. So it is a lovely time to be back in Ireland. That homesickness, I expect, is going to be really amplified this year. Like lots of people, I had a trip back home cancelled in March because of COVID-19. So I do think that this year being so far away from family is going to be tricky There are so many more of us in this position this year, though, so that gives me a sense of comfort. And I know that I'm in a very lucky position compared to a lot of people. My husband, Richard, is a Kiwi, so his family are here. And that will mean that on Christmas Day, we will spend the day together. And it's always lovely. Our menu will be a bit different to what I'm used to in Ireland. Now, Richard's family don't tend to do the barbecue thing, though that's super common for Kiwis to do. They tend to have a kind of spread of dishes like salads and cold meats. And actually, they have a tradition of having a Christmas Day curry, which I know I laughed at (laughs) the first time I heard about it. But it's delicious and I really enjoy it. I will, of course, be on roast potatoes duty and I will make my mum's stuffing recipe, which I've done every year. And it's delicious. So yeah, since I've been around, there have definitely been some Irish tweaks made to their Christmas Day menu. I just wanted to wish you and all of your listeners a very Merry Christmas and a happy and hopefully healthy New Year. We also heard from Lynn Sheehan, who's part of an EU mission working on security in the African country of Niger. Let's hear from her. My name is Lynn Sheehan and I'm originally from Cork. I've been working for EU common security and defence policy missions for the past 10 years, deployed by the Irish Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. So I've spent the last few Christmases in places like Palestine, uh, Bethlehem, in fact, which was really special, um, and also in Kiev, Ukraine. 
But this year, I'm spending Christmas in Niamey, Niger, which is a completely new experience for me. It will probably be about 39 degrees, and it's the cold season here. What will I be doing on Christmas Day? Well, subject to what happens with COVID-19, our mission, which is called EU Capsel Niger, is organising dinner on the 24th of December for all of the mission members who are here for the festive period. Uh, it's fr- principally French people working at our mission, so the 24th of December is the big evening for, for them. Niger is a Muslim country, so they will not be celebrating Christmas, but some of the shops put up Christmas trees and also some local colleagues have started to get into the spirit a little. I did bring back some Christmas goodies when I was home in Ireland in October, so I will put up some decorations. I also brought back a Cadbury's advent calendar, uh, but unfortunately now, already in early December, it says there are only two days remaining to Christmas, so I broke into that a little early. Anyway, big happy Christmas from here in Africa, and looking forward to seeing Ireland and Cork soon. Next we heard from John Butler. John is an accountant living with his wife and two children in Jamaica, and they plan to have a big reunion with their family in Ireland this Christmas, only for COVID and the complications of visa restrictions getting in the way. I'm an Irish accountant that's living in Jamaica. I've been here since about 2013. Whilst here, I married a Jamaican and we have two children together who are obviously Jamaican and Irish dual nationals, but my wife is just a Jamaican citizen and and can't become an Irish citizen uh, unless uh, she she lives in Ireland for a number of years. So the problem we have right now is because there's Jamaicans need a visa to get into Ireland and the Irish government since COVID started is just not issuing visitor visas at all in any circumstances. Therefore, she can't come with us if we want to go to Ireland. Our kids are one and four, so me travelling alone with them is not a great answer. We've kind of had a year where travelling home is off the table, and even now that we can see light at the end of the tunnel in terms of a vaccine, visas take a couple of months to process. So, I mean, even when they start issuing visas again, it'll be months before we can actually take a trip. The last Christmas we were home was... Uh, was 2017, I think. So we were all excited about going this year and then, then go, COVID happened. I mean, we've always had to get visas to travel. I mean, that's a nuisance. You know, she has to send off a passport to the embassy, which is in Canada, wait a couple of wait weeks and, and, and be without her passport for quite some time and then eventually get it back. And that's always been part of what we've, we've done and it's been a nuisance, but just the an absolute ban as we have at the moment is especially frustrating. The official government line is, we're discouraging people from travelling. But the reality is that's a persuasive kind of, yeah, you really shouldn't, but we're not going to stop you policy for people from anywhere else. But for people from visa-required countries like Jamaica, it's a ban. It, it's an absolute rule. Uh, look, we'll, we'll work with it. We'll be having a Christmas uh, here. The food is very different. Turkey is not something you come across very often. They do tend to cook up a ham, similar but not the same as what we have and then this is all, very often a variety of meats like you might you, you might have a, a quite quite a big feast you know with curry goat and uh, curry shrimp a lot of people here are big church goers we're, we're not especially so that, that's a big part of it for a lot of people but not, not so much for us I'm sure we'll be on uh, on video calls to, to my parents back home so look we'll, we'll, we'll make the best of it Claire has been living in Canada since she was seven years old, but has always maintained strong links with her friends and family back home in Ireland. For her, the move to remote working this year has actually broadened the scope for what's possible in the future, including perhaps spending more time in Ireland. Hi, my name is Claire Sullivan. I'm speaking to you from Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. My parents and I uh, emigrated to Canada when I was seven years of age, and now just over 30 years later, I'm actually the only member of my family who's left in Canada, along with my husband and my two small children. So I've actually really benefited from the ability to travel to Ireland regularly to see my family, and it's sort of been a stark contrast for me going through this pandemic period to really uh, contrast my experience as 
as a more recent immigrant versus uh, previous generations of Irish immigrants who wouldn't have had the ability to come and go with the relative ease that I've had the benefit of having. I was supposed to be in Ireland in April and was supposed to have one of my cousins come to visit in June and another one in July, and obviously that all got cancelled. So um, it's been a real challenge and sort of been an eye-opening experience for me, kind of realizing just how lucky I've been over the years. I think like so many people, we're just going to be leveraging uh, Zoom and WhatsApp and having those video calls. But as we're doing those things, and I think we're kind of focused on what's important this time of year, and that's family, trying to look forward to any positives that might be coming out of this awful pandemic and, you know, trying to be respectful because, of course, people are losing loved ones and it's been a devastating time for so many people. But knowing that we're in it, trying to look at the positives, I think, is one of the best ways forward. Um, one of the things that I've been doing is having preliminary conversations with my employer about whether or not I would be able to do a portion of my job actually from Ireland. So, you know, three or four weeks per year working from Ireland remotely. Um, that's a huge percentage of my life that I would be able to be spending in Ireland, you know, with my family. Um, you know, if I was doing that over the summer, being able to bring my children back. And I just see that as being such a positive outcome that could potentially come from this, um, you know, really difficult time. That's what I'm going to be doing this year, spending my time thinking about and uh, planning future trips um, and wishing everybody well, uh, safe and happy Christmas. Something else that's really important this year is supporting local businesses, if you can at all. Small businesses in Ireland and all around the world have had an incredibly tough year. Loads of them are even at risk of closure. So if we spend our 2020 present budget, however much that might be, in local independent businesses, instead of handing it over to mega corporations, I won't name any names, but I've been as guilty as anyone in the past, uh, we would really be helping to keep those businesses alive and to keep their employees in work into 2021. In case you want some ideas, and I'm not being paid to say this or anything, but I thought I'd mention where I got some gorgeous gifts from my family uh, in Galway. Um, I got some lovely gifts from McCambridge's Delicatessen, which is a family-run business uh, in the city. They have mostly locally produced products, and McCambridge's will put together a lovely hamper of fine wine and Irish delicacies at basically whatever price range you're looking for. I also got some lovely books in Kenny's Bookshop, also in Galway, another family-owned business, and they have loads of first editions and stuff, and I think they deliver online all around the world. So if you're away this year, do check out whatever nice shops you know in your hometown or in your closest city and uh, take a look at whether they might deliver something for you. You could even ring up and ask. Um, Naomi, do you have a plan in, in, in tow for presents? Yeah, usually my family do a secret Santa. So we do a draw and then we each of us just buy one present. But it's like, you know, a really considered present that's like, yeah, for just one person. But we decided because we're all going to be divided this year with various family members in different countries. And I'm not making the trip home myself this year. That we would go back to, you know, just presents are us and just like buy presents for everyone. Um, so, of of course, I was like, oh, great. That's a, you know, I can't wait to, to put the presents together. And I had this really romantic idea that I would like make elaborate parcels, you know, like to send in the post uh, with like local mm. stuff and things I could make and wrap it really nicely and all this kind of thing. And I just thought that would be, you know, could be waiting under the tree. But um, this has mostly been made impossible by the fact that um, due to matters, including Brexit, I've been essentially waking up, <laughs> working all day and just stopping to eat and then going to sleep again with no time for anything else. So I haven't been able to put any elaborate parcels together whatsoever. And instead, I've been taking advantage of the modern convenience of online retail delivery. And I won't go into the details of what exactly it contains because I don't want to spoil any 
anything for anyone listening. But basically, I did have similar thoughts to you, Tim, and I fully endorse your idea of looking up Irish producers or local producers or those small businesses to give them a hand. Oh, Naomi, I mean, Brexit destroying everything from like trade agreements to Christmas presents this year. <laughs> Tim, it has to be a Brexit-free zone. We can't bring it into the Christmas podcast. We'll inflict it on our listeners in a separate episode. <laughs> we will, and possibly soon. So I'm moving on straight away. It is time for our Christmas reunion. We got in touch with some of the brilliant guests we've had on our show over the last four years, and we asked them to send us a message for our listeners. And you know what, Naomi? We got some pretty wonderful responses. So let's hear from Katrina Perry, Matthew O'Toole, Emma D'Souza, Kaylin Hogan, Sarah Maria Griffin, Sarah Creighton, US Congressman Brendan Boyle, Ron Rouquet, and comedian Tara Flynn. Hi, Katrina Perry, RTE journalist and author here, current co-presenter of The 6-1 News. Just a note to say Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to all the Irish passport listeners around the world. I know it's going to be a tough one for many people, especially those who would normally travel home and have taken the decision this year not to do so. I will say from my years spent living in the US that although it's very exciting boarding a plane, getting back to see your family and friends in Ireland, there is such an embracing Irish community abroad that a fun, if different sort of Christmas can also be had staying where you are. That's what I found anyway. And I suppose we all have an extra responsibility this year to look out for each other and be kind from a two metre distance, of course. So here's to a better 2021 anyway. (laughs) I personally am really looking forward to getting back to the US to see my family and friends there having like so many others cancelled multiple trips this year so season's greetings to one and all hopefully we'll all see each other again soon stay safe mind yourselves and do take care Merry Christmas and Nolakona to everyone uh, listening to the Irish Passport my first experience with the Irish Passport was uh, about three years ago, um, not long after I left the UK government as a civil servant. And now I find myself three years on a member of the Northern Ireland Assembly for South Belfast. It's been a strange journey for for lots of us, including the Irish Passport, which has done an amazing job over the last few years of unpacking and explaining the the, the complexities of our island and our complicated, sometimes scary, uh, but sometimes wonderful history. This year, it has been terrible for everyone. Uh, It's been really difficult. I'm sure lots of people listening to this aren't able to fly back to Ireland to spend time with family, friends or their favourite local pub. I feel uh, feel that. I feel people's pain. This is actually the first year uh, I won't have to travel back to Ireland for Christmas because I've moved home to do the job I'm doing. It's the first time in 20 years I'm not making the Christmas trek home, so I know how important and how uh, fundamental that is for lots of people in their relationship with where, where they come from. So if you're listening to this from parts of the world, in one sense, I guess, the best news I can give you is you're still not missing much because we're all still pretty shut down here. But we all hopefully have a better 2021 to look forward to with better days ahead and a return to some kind of connected human normality. Um, and I hope as we go through 2021, we still have the Irish passport with us to, to provide us um, with interesting analysis and thoughts on the complexity of our island. Because one thing is definitely for sure, the next couple of years are going to be a really fascinating period in our history. Take care and Merry Christmas, everyone. Hello, fellow listeners. I am delighted to be joining you for this Christmas special. And I just want to send a message of hope and peace and love over this festive season. My name is Emma D'Souza, and I know that for many, this is going to be a very difficult Christmas, and we're coming to the end of an incredibly difficult year. For us, solo Christmas is my favorite time of year, and we're used to gathering as as a large family and spending time together. We'll be doing so virtually. And whilst we're all grown up now, me and my brothers and sisters, we still get up every year at 5am for Santa, and that's a tradition that we will be carrying on this year too. So whilst it might not be the Christmas that many of us have come to enjoy, we might not be going out to the pub, and we might not be having our Christmas dues, we should be safe in the knowledge that this too shall pass, and next year, hopefully we can all be together again. It was just last year around this time that I was speaking with Irish Passport about my book, Republic of Shame. It feels like a different world with all the changes and challenges that we've faced. 
this Christmas, my thoughts will really be with survivors of the mother and baby home institutions who are anticipating the release of the final report of the investigation into these institutions. We know now that report will finally be made public in January of the new year. And we've also seen through the repeal the SEAL campaign a huge moment of solidarity and proof that so many people in this country and across the world want answers for survivors. They want the truth. And so this Christmas I'll be hoping that the new year brings more answers for survivors. This is Sarah Marie Abraham, recording from the almost under our 10-foot Christmas tree. I think the most important thing that can come out of 2020 with is a sense of hope. New Year's Eve will be the night that I'm celebrating, having somehow made it through this year, staying hopeful that next Christmas things will be brighter than they are now. Good luck, hold close, the longest night is almost over. Hi, this is Sarah Crichton. Christmas, I suppose, is my favourite time of year, but Christmas this year is going to be strange. You know, I think the pandemic has shown up the inequalities in our society and on the divisions that are there. And, you know, a lot of people are going to be suffering this year more than they usually do. I think for me, this year has really brought home to me what's important. Um, my mum's a nurse. She works in the NHS and she worked in the Nightingale Hospital during the first lockdown. So, you know, I'm only going to see my mum this year. I'm not going to be able to see my dad, my partners, and getting to see his parents at all. So it's, it's going to be difficult, but we're focusing on the positives because, you know, we've both got jobs, but we've got stable income, we have a roof over our heads. My mum has made it through this pandemic, and, you know, unlike a lot of families in Northern Ireland. So, you know, not to sound like a Instagram mum, circa Charles Dickens. For me, Christmas this, this year is about being thankful and grateful and coming together with my family. So, you know, we're going to have turkey and ham and cocktails. And at some point, my mum will probably scream that the potatoes are ruined. We'll probably stick the queen on as, as per tradition. And, you know, my granny will declare and say how well she's looking. And that's how we're going to make it special. But, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. Hi, this is Congressman Brendan Boyle wanting to wish a very Merry Christmas to all of my fellow listeners to the Irish Passport podcast. Obviously, this Christmas is uh, challenging for all of us, whether in the United States, Ireland, or pretty much anywhere else in the world, to have to be physically or socially distanced at this time. It's especially difficult, and a lot of people here in America weren't able to travel back home to Ireland and, and to see loved ones. So wherever you are, wherever you happen to be in listening to this, I wish you a very Merry Christmas and to please take heart that soon we will all be able to get through this together. Hello Irish Passport listeners, this is Ronan McRae here. Another kind of Galair. I think we're all looking at the life a little differently from how we looked at it this time last year. And so I certainly am. For 20 years, almost I've been coming back to Ireland uh, from various places for Christmas, from London, from Italy, from Brussels and from Luxembourg and always kind of flying in, bringing some of the seeds of my life abroad to Dublin and then flying out a couple of weeks later, uh, bringing some of the seeds from Dublin life back to my life abroad. This year, uh, I won't be coming to Ireland for Christmas because I've already been here for the last few months now that remote working has been possible. And so I'll be seeing Christmas from the inside of Ireland looking out rather than the outside looking in. And I think from that perspective, we have a really interesting New Year period ahead of us. Brexit, after four long years, will finally become a reality. Uh, Ireland has made its choice. We used to talk about Boston or Berlin, but I think the real choice, and certainly since Brexit, has always been Birmingham or Brussels. And we've chosen Brussels. Ireland has chosen to throw that its connection to the, to the EU is more important than its uh, connection to the UK. And that means that 2021 will see us still watching a lot of British television, knowing a lot of their stars. But for politicians, for lawyers, the connection to Europe will be much more important. We don't know exactly how that's going to pan out, but it's going to be interesting. And we're already seeing new ferry routes open up um, from uh, Wexford to Dunkirk. And I think that that's a sign of a relationship that's going to change in an interesting way. So I hope 2021 was unpredictably good for all of you, as 2020 has been unpredictably difficult. Norigana. Hello, Irish Passport crew. This is Tara Flynn here. Thanks for having me on to take part in your Christmas messages. Um, happy Christmas, Merry Winterville, whatever you're having yourself. 
I love this time of year. Well, I kind of hate this time of year, but I love the fact that we all have a festival, whatever we believe in, that there's some kind of festival of light for most beliefs or no beliefs. You can light a candle no matter what you believe and just giving a little bit of hope that the solstice is coming and we're going to be getting longer days again. Well, brighter days. Nobody wants a longer day at the moment. The days are long enough with the big COVID-19 stuff. So look, it's great to have made it to the end of this year. And even though we know things won't magically get better on January 1st, we've made it to the end of something very tricky. And there's a symbolism, which is rife at this time of year. Again, regardless of your beliefs, the symbol of making it to the end of this year will be very strong. And I think we should all be proud. We should count our blessings. Again, that doesn't have to be faith-based. Count your blessings. If we're here, we're one of the lucky ones uh, this year where people have lost so much and many people are grieving or ill still and I want to send them lots of love. Look, we'll have made it. If we are around on the 1st of January, we've done a great thing. And I think that the way we've all tried to pull together, even when things were looking tricky, is something we should remember when we come through all this. And we will come through all this, I hope. So lots of love, light a candle, drink something you like drinking, eat something you like eating. And congrats, it's nearly the end of 2020, the longest year in history. Uh, you know, Naomi, listening to those clips from, you know, years of the podcast, like, it's just amazing the range of different people we've had uh, on this show and such, like such a range of interesting stuff coming from different perspectives uh, over the years. Actually, it's quite touching. <laughs> and it also just really makes me think of all the listeners who have tuned in uh, over the years. It's not always obvious, I'd say, uh, to you guys, listeners, but when you write a comment or when you send us an email or when you tweet something nice about us, we see that every time. We're the ones who are reading it. You know, the Irish passport is Naomi and me. There's no production office anywhere that's like filtering out messages or anything. Um, so we read every single one of those things and we really appreciate uh, every little, you know, nice message that you send us like on a personal level. We absolutely feel that you've been along there beside us this whole time. So my own Christmas message would just be Merry Christmas to the whole lot of you. I'm so glad to have you listening in uh, to us and I hope you will do uh, into the new year. Yeah, this is something I've kind of tried to explain to other people about the podcast that like it kind of feels like a community like you know I mm. feel like there's this link between us and all the people that we've gotten to know and who are listening into us like we really know each other because like, we started off Tim really you know just making this ourselves like recording in bathrooms or whatever and we just sent out these <laughs> episodes at the beginning like not knowing who would listen to them and it just sort of like organically grew by people you know, passing it on to others. And so many listeners have, have kind of, you know, really built up a relationship with us, like writing to us directly with emails and, of course, supporting us now on Patreon, which we're massively, massively grateful for. Um, so, like, it does feel like a community. And, like, at this time of year, one of the things I really look forward to when I go home is, like, meeting up in the pub, you know, with a few people, mm. like cousins, friends, and like having a drink and catching up and kind of sharing things. There's always that cozy experience. And I feel like by gathering together all of our guests and, you know, you and I, Tim, I feel like this is this is our Christmas reunion. You know, this is the equivalent of, of us. And <laughs> it's something that's made possible by the wonders of, of technology. But I don't feel like it's a substitute because this kind of broadcasting that we've been doing, this podcasting, this was, you know, this is something separate. It's not it's not doesn't exist because of the pandemic. It's something we're doing anyway, you know, and it just kind of comes into its own now at a time when we can't see each other. So we wish all of you uh, from the bottom of our hearts to have an absolutely brilliant 2021. Here's to things quickly starting to transform and to brighter and longer days ahead. And to play it out, we're going to have a song uh, which is incredibly on theme for this episode. Um, <laughs> some original music, but uh, which is called Lockdown Christmas by the very musically talented comedian Michael Fry. All right. And don't forget that if you want some more Irish passport content to see you through the holidays, you can always check out our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the Irish passport. Nola Conadiev. Nola Conadiev. The normal excitement is gone and I dreaded the summer.
much time can't decide how to spend it. A very merry Christmas, it just won't be the same. The Yuletide is tongue tied and no longer gay. And they said it was all in hand. There was nothing more that he could do. And we thought this would all be grand. But Christmas isn't Christmas if I spend it without you. Fall in love, fall in love, fall in love. I want to be in 